Girl, just for clarity and for reminder's sake, you get that Pacey actor from Dawson's Creek to play me. You get him or I will haunt you. I will rattle your cabinets every night for the rest of your life. Oh, wait, girl, girl, girl. What? What? Girl. What? What? It's, I... it's, it's, it's been a minute since you've had your cabinets rattled at night, hasn't it? <laughs> you need to mind every inch of your business. You don't need to worry about what I'm doing. You need to worry about why you're worried about what I'm doing. You're obsessed with me. Patricia Hines. You guys, welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, the podcast where Ellen Marsh and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episode of ID's Disappeared that covers their case. You actually do that intro really well, and I'm glad you never throw that to me because I, I would stumble on it the way I stumbled on, like, explaining what a stepfather is. <laughs> You you just you rattle it off every week. I I'm genuinely impressed. Girl, are you wearing a hospital gown? No, are I'm wearing you? a lovely silk top. What is wrong with you? You're wearing the same t-shirt you've been wearing since 1902, so don't come for me unless I send for you. Girl, can I just ask you one more question before we tell them about the Facebook group? Uh what? Lovely by whose standards, girl? It's Banana Republic. <laughs> You guys, join the Facebook group. It is like this in written form. Ellen and I just come after each other. We've got like 10,000 of your fellow listeners in there. It's Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. Join the fun. You guys, last week after we went live on Instagram, Ellen actually had to go into the Facebook group to talk about me because when we were discussing who killed John F. Kennedy, <laughs> she said John Wilkes <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, tell them about the Instagram, girl. I have other skills. <laughs> Our Instagram is the Disappeared Pod, and every Friday night we go live. And when you're live and you happen to say a fact that's incorrect, it's out there in the ether for everyone to see and know, and you can't take it back. It was just the way you said it with such certainty. You're right. You were like, we know who killed JFK. It was John Wilkes I did it. I did it. I did it. I can't take it back, and I did it. I, I don't remember ordering a glass of your opinion this afternoon. So there you go. Well, you got your Facebook quote for the week. You guys, Disappeared Season 2, Episode 6, Lost Highway, tells the story of the disappearance of Brayden Fusca. I'm not going to make fun of his name because that's super low-hanging fruit, but they say his last name. And they say it plural. Yeah, and it's, it sounds, <laughs> yeah. I was just like, they I'm not. Like the Fuxas. And I'm like, Christopher, I know that you're just reading what's in front of you, but it sounds like you're saying it wrong. Brayden Fuxa vanishes in summer 2009. It was just so out of character. His parents panic when they discover a missing handgun. My heart just sank. And a puzzling trail of clues that he's left in his wake. We didn't know if he hid north, south, east, or west. Authorities discover that this young man has been guarding a dark secret. Braden was pretty freaked out about having spent a night in jail. And the search for him turns into a manhunt 700 miles away. At this point, they would probably be looking for a body. I've got a couple things to say at the top. Number one, girl, we go to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Remember when you knew that that was the capital and I didn't know where Wyoming was? I was so excited. I was like, no. (laughs) Of all the capitals, we're in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Well, (laughs) we're not in the beginning, but yes, but we do go to Cheyenne at some point. The other thing I have to say about this episode is that these human Americans, they li- we share a country. These people are like aliens to me. And I, and I don't mean that like in a bad way. They seem so, so nice. Like, I'm sure if we were to show up at their house for dinner, they would welcome us with open arms. The Fuchsas seem... No, I didn't. I know, I know. <laughs> the Fuchsas seem like very, very nice people. But you text me this morning, you're like, have you watched? And I'm like, this may as well be about aliens. I don't understand these people at all. So I just want to put out there um, a trigger warning there's um, there's a lot of things that might trigger Patrick in this episode things like <laughs> camping I just can't I don't know why we always have to fishing about- no hunting no. also a lot of places on the map that you cannot easily identify no. so Wyoming or Kansas, Kansas. <laughs> it's July 2009 22 year old Braden Fuchsa is enjoying summer on his own 
He's just moved out of his parents' house into an apartment in the college town of Lawrence, Kansas. Brayden was really dead set that he wanted to be out on his own. His dad, Todd, tells us he was very set on living on his own, and his mom, Starla, says... It was a big deal for me for him to leave home, but he wanted to be independent, which we encourage. <laughs> I mean... You have to let him go at some point. But you have to let them go at some point. Starless, sweetheart, he was 22, girl. I wrote the same thing, but I was like, do they? Because I have video footage of my daughter when she's three years old agreeing to stay with me forever. And that shit is binding. <laughs> Am I a monster for being like, I love my daughter so much, I cannot wait till we have that second bedroom back. <laughs> Am I, a, am I an asshole? Like, I love her. I can't wait till she comes and visits me every day. She says she's going to, like, live in the same building as me. But, girl, I got a craft room to make. <laughs> Not turning it into a home gym. No danger of it becoming a home gym, you guys. Maybe a bar. Probably a craft room bar. The day you make a craft room <laughs> is the day that I go fishing with you. <laughs> Okay. It's going to be a busy day, girl. No, definitely going to be a bar. We're definitely turning it into a bar. It's going to be like a speakeasy. (laughs) Wait, I have something to tell you. Breaking news. You know how we have a hamster named Daisy Speedy? Patrick, yes, I know you have a hamster. I hate that hamster. I know, I know. You killed it. No. You made hamster soup. No, no. What? Yesterday, Daisy and Steve went to the grocery store where Daisy insisted on Steve getting her a fresh clam that would be her new pet, which she brought home, put in a pot of water. Guess what the clam's name is? Daisy. Daisy Speedy Clam. (laughs) If it makes it to Friday Night Live, you guys are going to get to meet Daisy Speedy Clam. I feel like Daisy has a career working for ID because she's not too creative with these names and they're not too creative with their adjectives. Um, He had the opportunity to move in with a individual he went to school with. They had found them an apartment, and they were going to move in together. I love this dad. They're very, very sweet, but it's as if ID asked them to speak about their son in the most formal way possible. (laughs) ID was like, I really want it to seem like you've never met before. He was like, explain explain these stories very vaguely. He's like, well, he moved in with an individual on his own. It was so endearing. I mean, on top of being on this show talking about your missing son, he just, he so wanted to come off like educated and informative and calm. It was very sweet. And like, Brayden is such a boy when he moves out. The mom tells us that like, he still comes over all the time to eat and to get leftovers. I I love the idea that like, sometimes he comes for dinner, sometimes he just comes at eight to get the Tupperware from the fridge. (laughs) But then this was my favorite moment. Todd likes to grill and and so that was Braden's big thing was to grill and he would come over and they would trade cooking secrets and recipes. Don't you just turn on the grill and put on the chicken? I don't understand what's the recipe what's the recipe there? Then you flip it. You flip it. But don't tell anyone it's a secret. It's a secret. Do I do anything else? Now just flip it. I really want to know what your grill recipe is, Brayden. We learned that Brayden is a security guard at a place called, wait for it, Outdoor <laughs> World. I wish I could hold up my computer and show you my notes because I my note is I literally do not need a single thing at that store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they sell flasks. <laughs> Let me give you a list of things that they sell, Patrick. Yeah, please. Fishing rods. Uh-huh. Sleeping bags. I don't need any of that. Tents. No. Guns. Uh. I, listen, I am also not going camping. I mean, no. honestly, there is, I camped once in Africa and I have never been so scared in my life. People in sleeping bags are like soft tacos to the bear world. So I have no desire to put myself in that kind of situation ever again. No. I mean, and look, like on the record, I'm sure that people think that I'm some crazy liberal anti-gun person. I'm totally... Totally not. Like, I'm fine with responsible gun owners. I'm just not a gun person. But the mom says... He said his dream job would be to work at Bass Pro so he could be around the fishing rods and the the guns and everything. Whoa. I know. And then she says when he's not at work, Brayden is spending all his time doing outdoor activities. And basically... (laughs) 
Christopher is just trolling Patrick at this point. I literally wrote, Christopher, you're going to have to be more clear, girl. Yeah. He's like, they boat, they ski, they tube, they wakeboard, they fish. I was like, Christopher, come on. You are giving him heart palpitations. I, I literally just don't understand it. And then the dad says, every free moment that we had, we were fishing. Here's a real question. I'm not even trying to make a joke. When you go fishing, don't you just like throw a line into the water and stand there? Do we have any fishermen that listen to us? You know, we threw it out once that we didn't think brain surgeons listened to us. And I had like seven brain surgeons DM me. The point being, I don't think I've ever felt passion for anything the way Brayden feels for the outdoors. Brayden, why can't you listen to your headphones and play with the iPad like a normal kid? I know. Oh, it's so cute, but very, very foreign. Yeah, very, very. In mid-July 2009, Brayden's parents are out of town for a couple days. When they get back home Wednesday the 15th, Starla contacts Brayden. I text him because he knew we had been out of town. Mom and Brayden are the best girlfriends of all time. They are texting each other constantly. And I wrote, oh my God, the mom is using a sidekick. To which I said, you guys, sidekicks are in every episode of Disappeared. And Disappeared is literally the only evidence we have that sidekicks ever existed. (laughs) I know. I don't think anyone talks about them anymore. (laughs) No. You guys, we've talked about it on this show before. A sidekick was like, you had your phone for calling and your sidekick for texting. It was like before they figured out that you could just put a keyboard on a phone. I like my texting the way I like my men, T9. What? That made no sense. (laughs) Cut that out. I have no idea what I'm talking about at this point. No, it just means like difficult and not really available. (laughs) Oh my God, you saved that joke. I was like, I can do this. I heard it coming out of your mouth. I was like, I think I got this. I think I got the punchline of this one. You really circled around that one and brought it in for a landing. Thank you so much. Well, it starts with you being crazy. You know what I mean? So really good. With that as a jumping off point, we can disguise the limit, girl. Do you know in the history of the world, no conversations where a man called another woman crazy end well? You can't hit me through the FaceTime. (laughs) I think maybe she can. (laughs) Starla exchanges several texts with her son. She tells him that she and Todd have plans to see a film that night. I told him I hated to cut our time short, but I had to go because the movie was going to start, and I'd talk to him later. And the, and the mom is like, girl, we got to go. We're going to the movies tonight. No, no, no. They say they went to a film. <laughs> like, it's all artsy. They're like, yeah, <laughs> daddy-o, you want to go to the art cinema? And then we see the outside of the movie theater. You guys, this is 2009, and on the marquee is a big sign that says, now accepting Visa and MasterCard. <laughs> <laughs> It's Kansas. Yeah. Just shrug it off and say it's Kansas. So Christopher tells us, Starla and Todd spend the evening relaxing at the movies. They get home and they see that Brayden had transferred some money out of their account. And the parents are like, eh, no big deal. Like, Excuse me? I, I, like, It was $800. I know. I'm getting there. Like, first of all, I never had access to my parents' bank accounts. No. If I would have taken $20 from my mom, she would have been like, what would you do with that $20? <laughs> He, Your mother would have hit you with a shoe. I can see it in my brain. My mother is a black belt in karate. She is not to be messed with no. $800. And they are adults. Like, they, they mention the sister who has kids. Like, their adult children are just willy-nilly transferring money. Yeah. If I asked my parents for money at any age, let alone 22, they'd be like, what's it for? Totally. What are you doing with it? Who are you going to do? What are you going to buy? Who are you going to do? What? I, <laughs> but it was $800. The dad is super about it. He said he calls Brayden to then make sure that the $800 was enough. I made a phone call to him and got his voicemail. Left him a, a message just asking him, what's up? Were you in trouble? And, and um, you had enough money. Yeah. He's like, girl, it's just $800. You need more, girl? I just, I don't understand that world. Maybe that's how some people's families operate, but mine do not. <laughs> but Christopher then tells us. Starla and Todd go to bed feeling curious. If I took $800 from my parents, there are some other adjectives that would be used to describe their emotions, and it would be far beyond curious. What rhymes with curious, and that's furious. (laughs) I didn't know where you were going with that. Another adjective would be murdery. I mean, curious is not in my family's vocabulary. No. So they say it's very unlike Brayden to not, like, be calling and texting his mother every five minutes, but they don't hear from him for the rest of the day. Then they don't hear from him for the rest of the week. Starla and Todd go to bed feeling curious 
but not overly worried about the transfer. They figure their son will give them an explanation in the morning. But the next day, Braden doesn't call. Thursday came around, uh, still hadn't heard from him, and it, and it wasn't like Braden. Starlin and him were very close. They text back and forth daily. The parents, they say that, like, they didn't call the cops because, you know, he's 22. He just moved out on his own. And there's like I, they're saying they wanted to respect his sort of independence. And I think that that must have been a very difficult decision of, like, what do we do? Like, it's weird that he's not calling. He's not texting. He's not at his apartment. He's not showing up to work. But they don't call the cops. I can't really empathize with that decision because I'm not well. Right. So I can't really compartmentalize not freaking out. I mean, yeah. between the two of us, I mean, we really should have rethought this duo, number one. That's for another day. If That's for another yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I can't wrap my head around it. So they do things and it sounds very casual they say we go to some of their hangouts yeah we go to some of the places that he would have been and they reach out to a couple of his friends and they reach out to his ex-girlfriend who they were together for four years from like ages like 16 to 20 ish yeah and here's where we meet his ex-girlfriend of four years alana i spoke with starlin and told her that i had seen brayden at a gas station in town but it was a very brief interaction just kind of a hi, how you doing sort of thing. She gets the down bitch award for this episode because she's the only one who speaks any truth at any point. And she's constantly like, I mean, everyone's thinking it, but I guess I'll be the one to say it. Right. She's, she has a lot of truth bombs in this episode, which yeah. I respect. <laughs> I also want to say this is absolutely not an insult to Alana. I would never insult the way a woman looks, but this was in 2009 and this is a cautionary tale yeah. because I never want us as a female species to make the mistakes of our four sisters in by way of the eyebrows we did not do our best work in the 90s and the early aughts in terms of eyebrows i recognize that this was not a choice it was a lifestyle but alana is getting these eyebrows so thin this is this is learning material this is not a judgment Anyway, back to Elena. So the mom, we're, we're going to learn eventually that the mom was texting with him until 2.30 in the afternoon. Then a couple hours later, he runs into Alana at the store. Gas station. He didn't seem overly eager to, t- to talk to me. And because he had been trying to pursue a reconciliation prior to that, that seems a little strange. Right. And she said it was a little weird because he had made attempts to, like, reconcile with her. So there's some drama there that we don't really get into. She goes, he didn't seem overly eager to talk to me. (laughs) It was like Ellen, to me, during our freshman year of college. You guys heard the story about how Ellen didn't want to be my friend because she was too cool, right? I was too cool. I still am too cool. I'm just, it's the it's a pandemic and I need friends. <laughs> so now it's four days since Brayden has been missing and Christopher says, It's been four full days since Starla and Todd have heard from their son. They're at a loss as to what to do next. They're at a loss of things to do? Really? I can think of 67 things to do. One of them starts uh-huh. with a C and ends with all the cops. <laughs> For some reason on Sunday morning, We got up and it was just one of those feelings. In our master bedroom closet, uh, there's a shelf in there. We kept a nine millimeter in the closet. So I seen the the gun case there up on the shelf and I don't know why I did it, but I just grabbed a hold of the gun case itself. It was empty. And he's like, we knew it had to be Brayden because only like the mom, the dad, the brother, and the sister knew where the gun was. So it it had to be Brayden. And they're like, I don't understand. Like, when was he here? And they go out and they find the neighbor and they're like, have you seen Brayden recently? And they're like, yeah, four days ago when he went missing, he stopped here first, girl. He came to get the gun. Yeah, like they were like, he ran inside for 15 minutes, said hi, and like got back in his car. The neighbor's been sitting on this information for four days? America, you need better neighbors. <laughs> Every episode, we find out about some crazy... Crazy ass neighbors, what are you doing? No, I know. But yeah, so they they realized that he had been home and they say, what did they, it was like just a couple of minutes he was in the house, not long enough to do anything. Except get a gun. Except get a gun. <laughs> so yeah. now they decide to file a police report. And uh, listen, my snarky ass was like, oh really? Now you, you don't want to eat lunch or mow the lawn? It's four days. But I, I, listen, I do see both sides. So they call the Olitha Police Department, but just get a load of my shocked face over the airwaves. I know. But at the Olathe Police Department, 
The Fuchses are not permitted to file a missing persons report for Brayden because he is over 21 and no longer living at home. So because he lives with a roommate, the roommate has to report him missing. It's like, I understand that we have, like, rules or whatever, but, like, does it have to be set in stone? And like, It's not set in stone. It's not set in stone. That's I the know. thing. It's like, pick an answer. You can't line up any of these stories, and there is no common denominator between them. The roommate has to call? I wrote, the roommate has to be the one to submit the report, and I'm running for Congress. Yeah. Like, that's... A- <laughs> it's just... But then... the. Dad is like, oh, cool, cool, cool. We'll call the roommate. Did I mention he took my gun? Just in conversation, I mentioned that, well, he's got my pistol. That changed the whole subject. They automatically took our report and filed it. I guess everyone needs to tell the police that their missing people have guns because totally. that, that got their attention right away. So I don't, what, whatever they're doing in Olifa, Kansas, I have no idea. Totally. It's not Breckenridge, honey. It's not Breckenridge, honey. I did look up the crime in Olifa because in my mind, I thought, what else are you doing, Olifa, Kansas? Just take the report. <laughs> and the crime rate is higher than 60% of the state but it's one of the bigger cities i mean wichita has the highest yeah is the most dangerous it's it's kansas all to say Olitha, just just write it down i know why are we fighting people just write it down i know and if it's fake or if they find them at the local piggly wiggly who cares you just wrote it down totally. <laughs> so detective kenton thompson is put on the case and now the parents are freaking out you don't know if he was gonna hurt himself if something went wrong and he was protecting himself, if something had happened to him and somebody was after him, you, you just don't know. Braden's parents are confident that their son is an experienced gun user. He's been using a gun since he was big enough to walk. You guys, you learn to walk at a year old. Yeah. <laughs> Can we not give guns to one-year-olds? Like, like I said, I'm not a crazy anti-gun person, but like a one-year-old does not qualify as a responsible gun owner. Am I am I wrong, girl? No, you're not wrong. And his girlfriend, Alana, tells us Brayden had his own guns in Lawrence. Remember, he lives in Lawrence, Kansas, which is like 20 miles away. Yeah. And she's like, why would he go get his parents' gun? That is a question that never answers. So the dad, I love that, I do love that even in 2009, everyone's like, go to the phone records, go to the phone records can we get the phone records right but normally you'd have to subpoena the phone records but amazingly enough they're on like a family plan yeah daisy's gonna be on my family plan until she's 90 yeah i will always have access to her goddamn phone records yeah (laughs) also i feel like when our kids are old enough to have phones we make it very clear that they are our phones that they are borrowing for the day lola has a phone and i always say that all the time yeah i say i say you yes that is my phone also this is i also say this is my house and you are welcome to stay here Just so she doesn't forget. When she get when she gets a little mouthy. Do you like my couch? You like my couch? I have a fridge full of food too. Do you want some? You can have some, but it's mine. Yeah. You like that bed you're sleeping on? Oh my god. Yeah. Mine. You're a scary person. Rest your eyes on all I own. Cause it's everything you can see. Brayden's cell phone was part of our account, so I had access to his records. And we took, like, the last 20 numbers, and he texts them. And so the dad, I love this, the dad is, like, texting the last 20 people that Brayden called. And so the roommate is one of the people he texts. The roommate calls him back, and the dad's like, we visited for a little while. I know. I like, That's a, okay. So Brayden told his roommate that on Wednesday, he grabbed his bag and said that he was going to go spend the night at his parents' house, and that was the night that he disappeared. So he obviously never went to the parents' house. Right. So the dad is sending out all these calls and texts and gets loads of calls and texts back. One interesting person is Brayden's current girlfriend named Megan. Todd receives a call from Megan Loach, who, unknown to his parents, is Brayden's new girlfriend. Megan's one of the most interesting people we've met so far in all the episodes we've covered. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get more into Megan, but the interesting thing is these parents, now, I don't not believe what they're saying, but they do keep reiterating how close they are to Brayden and how much they know about his life, but He's been with this girl for two months, and they have no idea who this woman is. I know. She's like, I'm his girlfriend, and they and the parents are like, you're his what now? I know. He has a what? <laughs> know. You know, they keep saying, we're super close, we talk every day, but they don't know he has a girlfriend. I just And also, like, this girlfriend, Megan, describes him differently than anybody else in this episode. I met Brayden at a party in Lawrence at the end of May 2009. 
Brayden is really funny. He's the center of anything. Everybody, I mean, everybody who was at the party was there for Brayden. Everybody knew Brayden, and he made me laugh. <laughs> I instantly liked Brayden, and I think he instantly liked me. <laughs> Brayden was the center of attention, and everybody knew him, and life of the party. And meanwhile, everybody else, his like girlfriend of four years, his parents, everyone is saying he was like a really kind of quiet and reserved person. So it's it's a little strange. It was very strange. She kept saying, I'm so shy, he's so outgoing. Right. And everyone, yeah. it was just like, if it were a cartoon, it would just have all those question marks I above know. your head. Like, I know. huh? Megan and Brayden have only been dating for two months, but she feels close enough to him that she is disturbed by his behavior the last time they meet, the night before he disappears. So we learn that the night before Brayden disappeared, he spent the night at Megan's and they made dinner, and we see this reenactment. You guys, the reenactment actress is wearing this dress like straight out of Mad Men. It's like this 1950s like housewife dress, <laughs> and she's standing by a stove cooking for her man. It was so... Who directed that scene? I feel like the actress was like, I'm gonna do this reenactment, but I'm also an extra and Mrs. Maisel, totally. so I'm just gonna like keep the same costume if you don't mind. It was like the most stylized shot that we've ever seen in Disappeared. It was so weird. But again, at ID, they're always in a hurry. They're like, it's fine, it's fine. It just, it's not, who cares? It's just, can you cook eggs? Cook the eggs. It's great. Let's go. Next. Did they say Maisel's shooting on this lot? Do you think they're looking for a director of photography? <laughs> So weird. Is there anybody? <laughs> and also, can you give my resume to the director of Maisel? We made dinner and we were hanging out. Brayden was just really upset and like just not his normal self. Brayden's really outgoing and he's always making people laugh and it was weird to see him worried. He just looked worried. And she says the next morning, July 15th, it's the day that he disappears. She says that he like got up and left kind of abruptly in the morning. That like, I think they were still in bed and he just got up and left. So he like always says goodbye to her and he doesn't that day. So she sends him a sweet like, oh, no goodbye text. He texts her back. Brandon just texted me back and said goodbye, Megan. The tone of that text is very like, oh shit. Like that would have woken me up. Yeah, I would have had been in a neck brace because my <laughs> neck would have jerked back in such a way that I probably would have pulled so, something, you know? When you're sassy, it's easy to pull things. Did you pull your clavicle? I said clavicle. <laughs> oh, that's not what I said. Henry, Henry. And her left clavicle had been snapped in two. I said clavicle. Do you know what's funny? Do you know what's funny right this moment? What? Not you, so shut up. Let's go. So as we're like going into the commercial, Christopher says, And the next phone call sends the Fuchsas even deeper down the rabbit hole. And it was the first time that he said Fuchsas in a way that I was like, it really just sounds like you're mispronouncing their name. I know. It just sounds so like you're weird. saying it wrong, Christopher. <laughs> the Fuchsas. That's not a real name. So they get a call that his car was found in Douglas, Wyoming. And they're super confused. They say his car is found and the parents are like, he doesn't know anyone in Wyoming. He doesn't like Wyoming because he likes the mountains. Wyoming's super flat. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> it does look really beautiful. Like, we see images of it. Right. And we learned that, like, the Wyoming Highway Patrol found the vehicle. It was, like, the day after he went missing. So on Thursday, they find the vehicle. 10.44 a.m., they do a check on it. But remember, the parents had, like, decided not to file a police report at that point. So when they ran the license plate of the vehicle, nothing came up. Three days later, on Sunday, July 19th, Braden's parents file the missing persons report. It's only then that Braden's information is entered into the National Crime Information Center database and made available to authorities across the country. Braden's parents tell the police that as far as they are aware, their son doesn't know anyone in Wyoming, nor has he ever been there. The development in the case makes them very uneasy. And they say that, like, they're super uneasy about it being in Wyoming. And I was like, ID, again, can I get some more hysterical synonyms just so I can relate? I know. They were panic-stricken. They were horrified. They were terrified. Just uneasy? Right, because it doesn't make any sense. Like, he doesn't know anybody in Wyoming. And they found the car, and it's abandoned. And, like, that's also fucking terrifying on the side of the goddamn highway. Daisy, if you ever do this to me, if you ever do this to me, Daisy. He will be so uneasy. He's going to be so uneasy. But I will have time to make that craft room. <laughs> then the, the 
detective on the case. He's not a bad guy, but he says... I work a lot of juvenile cases, and, you know, typically the first people I talk to is their girlfriend or their boyfriend uh, and their best friend. You know, those two people. Uh, if anyone's going to have information, you usually have some idea of, of what has happened. And he's like, so in this case, I, you know, the roommate was the best friend. He had no idea. And then he literally goes... Uh, and Megan... Uh, was completely surprised by it also. And Megan was completely, and he starts to say useless, but then he stops and corrects himself and says surprised. He literally goes, Megan was completely surprised. <laughs> we didn't We didn't have time to edit that a little bit cleaner. No time. No time. Sorry, can I, can I take that one more time? I meant to say surprised. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's, we'll edit it. We'll edit She's it. She's going to think fine. I was trying to say useless. No, 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 no. We'll edit it. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be nice and easy, smooth. <laughs> the detective sees it. He's like, what the entire fuck? <laughs> I think so. They were going to edit that. So this is where the story takes a little bit of a left turn. As Detective Thompson struggles to get some insight into Braden's actions, a possible motive emerges. Braden is facing potential prison time on a theft charge. The theft charge resulted from Braden stealing some cash from his employer. We learn that Braden stole money. They don't specify how much money he steals. He steals the money from, what's the place he works at? Outdoor World? Sure. <laughs> he steals money from there. We don't learn how much money it is. We just know it's a felony because it's over a thousand dollars. And it's kind of a big deal because it's like suddenly some of this starts to make sense because we are told over and over again by the dad and the mom that like he's such a good kid he never got into trouble he and mom texted all the time you know and the parent they say that like when the parents filed the police report they didn't know that the son had been charged with a felony and had spent a night in jail and the mom and the dad are like we were very shocked he'd never been in trouble ever brain is a straight go forward kid when he was in trouble his mom usually knew about it. He would he would confess. If he ever got in trouble, he just admitted it to his mother. I you know? know, like okay, okay fine, yes, I, I killed the fish. I, I killed the fish. Like just sweet little boy. But the dad says something so interesting because well, remember he took the eight hundred dollars from his parents, and his dad says towards the midsummer time frame, Bass Pro had cut his department to a limited amount of hours, and it left him with eight hours for the t entire week. And I was like, Arr! I know eight. Hours a week while poor Tanya Ryder is working 23 <laughs> hours out of the day and Braden is trying to make ends meet with an eight hours of what, $12 an hour? And the dad is like, you know, he says that Braden promises him that he's got odd jobs, he's getting by. And I'm like, but Braden, why didn't you just ask your parents for money? And then Christopher tells us like, Braden's financial troubles are quickly catching up with him. And we see the reenactment actor opening up a clearly like a prop wallet with nothing in it. And he opens it and there's just a single $1 bill. $1 bill in there. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he was a young guy. He loved the outdoors. Like, he couldn't find some, like, hostile vegetation to take care of or something. <laughs> like, it, it just, it doesn't add up. This is another thing. There's just some unanswered questions. It just does not add up. For me, it goes back to, I think there's more going on with Brayden than we're being told about, yeah. right? Yeah. It feels to me like there was a lot riding on him moving out of the parents' house and, like, making it on his own. So, like, he seems reluctant to ask his parents for money, but then he's taking money out of their bank account. Anyway, we find out that on July 9th, so he worked in security at this outdoor planet thing. Part of his job is that like at the end of the night, he would take the cash register, like the money from the cash register from the registers and like put it in the safe. And like between taking it out of the register and like walking the hundred yards to the safe, he like puts it down somewhere and just takes all the cash and puts it in his pocket. Like he's not trying to be sly or slick about it at all. Like a slow and steady Braden, if you're, you know, know, steal $20 a night for the next hundred ships. Right. I mean, he's like, people are so bad at crimes. I like, know. be better at crimes. Don't steal $1,000. And then, of course, he comes in the next day and they confront him. They're like, Braden, remember the cash register full of money that you took from the front? It never made it to the back, girl. Where's the cash? Yeah, and he's just like, yeah, no, yeah, you got me. You got me. Uh, it's, it's at my house. I'm going to... That was stupid. I'm going to go get it. Not so fast, girl, because we're going to have to fucking call the cops. They brought in the police, talked to him a while. He confessed everything, and, and the police actually took him back to Lawrence to pick up the money. Despite his cooperation with the law, 
Braden is immediately taken into custody. Then, you guys, they throw him in jail. Like, they're really trying to teach this kid a lesson. And, like, we learn from somebody that while he's in jail for the night, they scare the living shit out of him. Like, this is a felony. You're going to jail for years. And this is what sets off this whole situation. And, like, you know, he never told his parents about this, which doesn't make any sense to me. Like, that's why I'm saying there's stuff that we don't know. Like, this, him living on his own and being successful obviously meant a great deal to everybody because there's no other reason for him to not have asked his parents for help at this point. Right. So July 16th, he was due in court for a hearing. Yeah. It wasn't even his trial. No. It was his hearing and it's just procedural. Yeah. It's just to like determine temporary stuff. If there is going to be a trial, what the charges are going to be, you know, it's like, it's nothing. Can you tell that Ellen knows her way around the legal system, you guys? <laughs> it's for another podcast. <laughs> I, in my mind, and again, this is maybe me being like a little too maternal and heady. I just imagine this kid in his imagination running wild with him. I'm going to get locked up. I'm going to be in jail. I'm going to go to jail for years. And I'm going to disappoint my parents. And no, you know what I mean? Like Not for nothing. I just got a speeding ticket the other day. You know this. And the cop freaked me out. He said, this is a criminal offense. You guys, I was going 20 miles over the speed limit. It's reckless driving. I am in a lot of trouble. You guys, she called me like from the car. She called me like shaking from the car. By the way, she got this this ticket in Virginia. I got the exact same ticket in Virginia. You guys, what is going on with the reckless fucking driving charges in Virginia? Yeah, and he was not having it. He just asked for my license and came back with a ticket. Yeah. I didn't even get to perform a three-act play for him. I didn't get to do anything. You didn't even pull your breasts out or anything? Absolutely nothing. He was like, license, registration, here's a ticket. Yeah. Thanks for coming to Virginia. Yes. I was like, bitch. <laughs> By the morning of his evidentiary hearing, as they're calling his name and he's not there, he's two states away. He's already abandoned his car in Wyoming by the time that that has happened. He is released the next day. But according to Braden's roommate, the harrowing experience of being locked up stays with him. Braden was, quote, pretty freaked out about having spent a night in, in jail. Braden is due in court for a preliminary hearing on July 16th. But as the date approaches, Braden appears to set a plan in motion. When he left his apartment on the 15th, he told his roommate, I'm going to go spend the night with my parents in Olathe. Okay? That was Wednesday night. He had court the next day. Well, that is actually when he left. When the parents find out what's happening, they're calling his phone being like, girl, it's not as bad as you think. The detective is like, he would never have served any jail time. Like, he obviously inflated whatever the consequence was going to be in his head. And everyone is calling him and telling him to come home. It's not that bad. And it's just too late. So the parents drive to Douglas, which is a 13-hour car ride away. They're going to get his car. That's where they had towed uh, Braden's car to. And the parents are going to get it. Right. And they pass Cheyenne on the way, by the way. (laughs) The capital. Look what I know. (laughs) So they get to the car, they open the door, and I just said, oh my God, this car is Tara Grinstead's bedroom on wheels. (laughs) It is filthy. There is clothing everywhere. There's basically the same bottle of Tums. I was like, it's Grinstead's bedroom on wheels. Oh my God. (laughs) Something that the mom noticed immediately, which is a weird detail, is his car had like a key code on it. This gave me chills. He'd always leave his keys under the mat. Why would you do that? Are keys that cumbersome? (laughs) Like, whatever. And she looked under the mat and the keys were there. And so her point is that he like turned the car off, put the keys under the mat on the side of the highway and then locked the door and left. And his mother's point is that like he wasn't coming back. As Starla and Todd continue to look through their son's belongings, the more convinced they are that Braden willingly left his car behind. The clothes looked like he had went through the bag kind of trying to sort out what he was going to take and what he wasn't going to take. And he did leave with his wallet and his phone, which leads me to believe he knew he needed that. Yeah. He had a couple of his things and he also had the gun. But like I said, you know, something not covered in the documentary that I looked at in some alternate research was he had his laptop in the car, which made me think that he was going for a trip in a way that he would need his laptop. Because yeah. why would you bring that? So it all adds up to I think he was panicked yeah and I think he was confused and I think he felt isolated and alone and just didn't know which way was up so they also find a receipt in the car and it's for a used tire so the detective takes this receipt he calls the garage like the business number on the receipt and we meet this guy named Ruben Kaufman I was woke up from the guy that runs the pit stop Conoco that there was a 
fellow that came in and had a blown out tire. Reuben drives down the interstate and finds Braden's car on the side of the road. The tire had blown out, it was literally shreds. I mean, it looked like he'd went, it blown out at high speed. There was no fixing it, it was just shredded. He often gets calls for people who have broken down along Interstate 25. But that day, he would unknowingly help a fugitive. <laughs> a fugitive! Christopher! <laughs> he didn't kill a guy! <laughs> the stealing is wrong, stealing is bad, but okay. So Ruben tells us that, like, you know, this kid blew out his tire, and, like, he was obviously going really fast. The tire was in shreds. There was no way of fixing it, so he had to just replace it. And Ruben is telling us, like, he's basically the last person that we know that saw Brayden. And he tells us, he's like, Brayden was a really, like, clean-cut, nice guy. And we get this really important detail. I asked him where he was going. He said he was headed for the university in Billings. Billings, Montana is 400 miles directly north of Wheatland. The mom says that, like, this kind of tracks because, remember, he wanted the mountains. Right. And the, even the detective was like, well, this is the highway you would take if you were driving up to Montana. And it sort of gives the family this kind of hope that he's maybe, like, off the grid. He was so afraid of this charge uh, for stealing the money that he wanted to, like, flee into the woods and, like, live off the land. And maybe, like, that's where he is. It's very confusing. I understand it. They're grasping at straws. But the weird thing... This is super weird. Yeah. His car was found about an hour away from where his tire blew out. From where Ruben fixed it on the highway. Right. An hour away. So like 60, 70 miles away. So from the time that he got his tire fixed to when the car was found, it was like an hour. And I asked you this off mic. Like when his car was abandoned, it wasn't because it was out of gas, right? Like he just stopped the car. 100%. His car was found with plenty of gas. So I feel like he just got sick of driving. Have you ever like been in the car and been like, you know what? I live here now. Yeah. I'm where, whatever the next exit is, I'm buying a fucking house. But it was just an hour away. So if he was going to abandon his car, why didn't he abandon his car when his tire blew? He's like, nah, bitch, I'm doing this on my terms. Yeah. I mean, I think it has to do like he had been driving all night. Please. The floor is yours. I drove all night. <laughs> are we going to have to pay royalties at some point? <laughs> I feel like we are. No, you know, Cindy, like- just tell her we're not paying her. We'll take her to lunch. We'll take her out to lunch. But the point is, like, he was probably exhausted. Disappointingly, the expanded search for Braden does not produce results. Even though we tried to get information uh, distributed as widely as we could, there was just no further leads, no contact. So basically, nothing happens. There's no leads for six months. And then it's February 3rd, 2010. We're back in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And we meet a very interesting character who works at the Salvation Army Soup Kitchen. Linda Curl works at a Salvation Army Soup Kitchen, where she sees many down-and-out transients. She is certain that Brayden was one of them. Christopher, are we allowed to say transients? I don't even know. Maybe 2009. So this woman swears up and down she saw Brayden. Yeah. She says it was him. I saw his smile. He was clean cut. He didn't look like these other people. He had an upbeat personality. And she says. We put bread out for the homeless or the low income or whoever needs it. And this particular day, we'd had a lot of bread. So we told him, take as many as you can use. It wouldn't fit in his pocket, so he was sticking it under his arms and trying to hold three or four loaves instead of just one or two. And he said it was a long way back to Kansas. When Brayden's mom is like, it has to be him. Brayden loves bread. She says Italian. Brayden loved bread. He loves Italian. I wondered if you were going to take exception to that. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know who's more offended, my ears or my ancestors. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? But I was like, Mom, everybody loves bread. I know. It's like Brayden, me, and Oprah. Right, (laughs) totally. But, girl, I have one question for you. Shoot. How often does Linda Curl um, speak to her sister in Portland, Maine, Sharon? Uh, Me and Linda Turk (laughs) on the phone. Uh, every other Wednesday, every Sunday, and on holidays, especially Abaday. Listen, my sister lives in Kansas. I haven't left Portsmouth, Maine in 52 years, so I'm not quite sure how we're related. Ellen, we know it's you, girl. We can see you, girl. Nah, my name's Sharon. Bag of boats. Cheyenne police 
looked at various places where some of their homeless people stay and, and obviously watching the Salvation Army and the Salvation Army employees obviously are now very aware to, to be on the lookout for him. There was just no further sighting, no further indication that he was there. The detective who's been with us the whole time is like, I don't know, we thought it was him, but like after a week of nobody ever seeing him, it was probably mistaken identity, like she saw the flyer and then whatever. Right. And then it cuts back to Linda, Sharon's sister, and Linda's like, no girl. I was absolutely sure it was the same person that had been here because of his eyes and his smile. She is insistent. She really was insistent. Then we hear from Elena, who maybe needs a little bit of bedside manner right. lessons. Uh, <laughs> Elena's the girl, the down bitch girlfriend who like says it like it is yeah i mean she's like literally in the corner reading a book that's like how to say fuck you in a nicer way like <laughs> she's she's not wrong but like you know she could be a little nicer and she yeah. basically was like i think he killed himself initially i wanted to think that he just needed to get out of town for a little while gather his thoughts and needed some space but the more time that went by and no one had heard from him i was worried he may have ended his life and i was like Ugh, can we be a little bit more ginger with this topic and but she also says like i mean everyone was thinking it i'm the only one who ever says it and i, I was know. like oh my god yeah i wonder why you guys broke up yeah <laughs> she's she's she's, she's, a, she's a delicate flower that one <laughs> i really like her but like she's saying that in the context of like you know all this time has gone by and finally the family and the friends are like sick of waiting so they organized their own search like around the place where the car was found searchers scour the land surrounding the highway where Braden's car was found. I think at this point, out there, at this point, they would probably be looking for a body. It's kind of in the back of everyone's heads, I think. I think I'm just the only one who has ever said it. You know, they're looking on both sides of the highway for miles and miles, and she's like, they were looking for a body. I'll say it. Yeah. You know? Somewhere between that and the parents is the right way to go, and who's ever to say what the right way is when you're in that kind of situation. Yeah. And it, it ends with no way. I mean, so it's weird. I was watching this on Amazon, and I did not get the follow-up resolution. Like, for me, it ended with no resolution. Ellen's like, did you watch? I'm like, yeah, there's no resolution. And she's like, yes, there is. Yeah. I had to go, like, get the ID app, you guys. Go fucking get the app and get the resolution. So here's the resolution to the story. In May of 2015, that's six years later, two hikers in Casper, Wyoming, found the skeletal remains of Braden. His cause of death was a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. But we have no idea when. Right. He was... He so was, you, you did some Googing. Yeah, I did some research. So he walked... That was about 70 miles away from his car. So if Braden walked in a straight line at a very fast pace, that would have taken him 23 hours. So we're meant to believe that he had enough, you know, food, water or whatever. And maybe he walked straight there. But there's a lot of conspiracy theories online that says Braden actually worked in a farm and lived off the grid. And there were people that, you know, said they saw him. And there were some ideas that he went by the name Brad. But there's really no sustainable evidence to say otherwise. By the time they found him, like, they couldn't determine how long he had been dead. It was just skeletal remains at that it point, It was skeletal right? remains. They obviously were able to identify him and able to identify that it was a gunshot wound to the head, which just absolutely breaks my heart that he thought that he had no way out or that was his way out or he was so sad. You are not defined by one mistake in your life. Yeah. And that just breaks my heart that he felt that there was no other way and so I just want to say to anyone who feels very alone in this moment that you are loved and you are valuable. So please ask for help. I am not qualified to give advice, but there are people that are. So if you are needing that help or time or assistance, please call the National Suicide Prevention Line. That number is one 800 273 8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. And you are loved and you are valuable. Say something funny. I still want to know who thinks that top is fancy. <laughs> Cue music. <laughs> you guys, that was season two, episode six. Girl, we're plowing right through them. Oh. <laughs> 
join the Facebook group, you guys. Come hang out with us. Get in the action. It's the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. Ellen goes live in there all the time without me knowing to say mean things about me. People start DMing me. They're like, girl, she's at it again. Wait, do they really? Yes. They do not. They tell on me? Are you serious? People tell on me? I will not name names. I've gotten a a handful of DMs. Yes. This changes everything. (laughs) Also, our Instagram, you guys, The Disappeared Pod. Every Friday night at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern, we go live. We do. We hang out. We talk true crime. I told my Tara Reid having breakfast story. That was a great story. It's one of my favorite stories. You never know what you're going to get on Friday Night Live, you guys. It's, it's always it's always a party. What about you? You got anything to say for yourself this week? We're also on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I think it's Disappeared Pod on Twitter. Sure. Search it. <laughs> you can also follow me at Ellen Marsh. You spell my name with a Y. Actually, some listeners were like, you should tell people your name is spelled with a Y. My name is spelled with a Y. It's E-L-L-Y-N. Did you know that, Patrick? Um, I wonder if you've ever felt less famous than having to spell your own name on your podcast. <laughs> Uh, you guys, you can follow me at Ellen Marsh. You can follow the show at Ellen Marsh. As I always say, you can follow Donald Trump at Joe Biden, where if you're a conservative, we ask you to give and give and give to Donald Trump at Joe Biden. Um, and we love you, girl. I love you so much. You are horrible to me, and may you become allergic to all your favorite foods. That's already happened. We're I already know. there. <laughs> you can't eat bread. I can't eat anything. Maybe I can. <laughs> I love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Daisy Speedy Clam, you guys. You didn't want to see if she wanted to name it anything else? I wasn't there for the naming ceremony. Had I been, it might have been a different story. River Phoenix Clam. Uh, Oh. (laughs) Like, when I have to leave the office and walk down the hall to the bathroom, I consider that hiking. (laughs) Is that not hiking? It's hiking, sweetheart. It's hiking. (laughs) I thank you. I went on a hike today. (laughs) You went on a hike today. Where to? The bathroom. (laughs) It's like 13 feet down the hall. Apparently, we have three straight men who have checked in with us now. So for the I know, you know, I was a little uncomfortable when this happened because somebody was like, did a roll call, like where are the straights at? Right. I don't know. I feel like that puts people in a weird position. But then the straights started making themselves known. The straight men who listen to this podcast are very cute. Uh, Oh well, I I didn't click on them, but... Um, I did. That- I clicked on all the straight guys. I was like, you're cute, and you're cute, and you're cute. So you're saying we have cute straight listeners? Pa- we have three of them. They- <laughs> and we know who they are now. <laughs> did you guys Did you guys get my, my Instagram handle? Um, anyway, it's Ellen with a Y. That's all I'm saying. You guys, she's so desperate, you don't even have to pay for dinner at this point. <laughs> Someone go rattle her cabinets. God. I don't know where Montana is. I think Montana is a Dakota. I have no idea where it is. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're doing this interview with her on her porch. Everybody else is in the house. And I was like, what's going on in Megan's house that they can't do this inside? Megan, what's your house look like, girl? She's a bit messy in there.